0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Both grow together until the harvest, and the harvest, Matthew 13, King James' old version says the harvest is the end of the world. King James, New King James and every other translation that now corrects it correctly, the harvest is the end of the age, not the end of this age, it was the harvest of that age. That doesn't mean God's not still reaping the vine of the earth. It just means that was what he was talking about. And they gathered together in bundles what was good and the rest of it was burnt with an unquenchable fire. Many of these parables will make sense to you when you start to come down through there and you start to realize he's talking to that audience. Are you, are you tracking with me? there's so much I could say there, but I think I'll, uh, here's Hebrews 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that will come will come and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But you are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them that believe to the saving of the soul. He's writing to Hebrews who are wanting to go back to Judaism, and he's saying, don't go back. We are them who don't draw back were them who believed to the saving of the soul, but when he says, in "Yet a little while, and he that will come will come and will not tarry," is a direct quote from Habakkuk chapter two, verse three and four. He said, "For the vision is yet for a appointed time, but at the end it will speak." And not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just will live by faith. That was a direct quote. He calls it an it, a vision, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will come. And it will come in the latter days. But what happens is in Hebrews, he said, Yet a little while, and he that will come will come. It's not an it any longer; it's a he. And how many know he did come and he did redeem us from the curse of the law and bring us into the new covenant? Revelation, First uh, Peter four seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be sober. Revelation one one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Not two thousand and twenty some years in counting, and he sent and signified it unto his angel. Revelation 1:3, blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy keep those things which are written in, for the time is at hand. Revelation 22, verse 6, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his works shall be. Revelation 22.10, and he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Contrast that with what he said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, when he said to Daniel, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. But in Revelation, he tells Daniel, Seal up your book, for the time is for the distant future. But he tells John, Don't seal yours up, because the time is at hand. He which testified these things, Revelation 20, verse 20 and 21, said, He which testified these things, say, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let me kind of make some concluding remarks, and then we'll get out of the road just for a second. All I'm trying to establish tonight is the possibility that the last days are past days. That it's not the end of the world globe, it's the end of the age. End of what age? Old Covenant age. What I'm trying to establish tonight is a lot of stuff that we thought was coming is not coming at all. That ought to be incredibly good news. That you may not have to look for hell on earth to come. I really think we're in a great awakening right now. Like I said, I I could go back and just preach a whole thing on uh, viruses and victories that we sent out a message back some time ago, but every time there's been a pandemic, every single time in human history, many times they thought the end was near and they thought it was a last day revival. It was not a last day revival. It was God restoring some piece of truth back to the church. I think what God is restoring back to the church right now is a dominion theology and the authority of the believer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And a church that's awakening to the fact that we're going to engage some stuff. We are here for a purpose. And if we're not the salt and the light, we're in real trouble. But I believe that there are people just like you that will show up on a Friday night and say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe there's some stuff God has put in me that were God dreams. Maybe I've been called. Maybe, maybe God could use me in a political arena, in an entertainer, in a business arena, because it takes all of that. Because, see, there's so much I could say to you. I I will say this. You know, when I got invited to Washington, when I wrote this book, I got invited to a full-blown presidential dinner as a guest of the president with a request to sign five books that night. One to George Bush, the second two, one to John McCain, one to Sarah Palin, one to Congressman Zach Wamp, and one to Karl Rove i got to tell you, I've signed a lot of books, but my hand was shaking when I signed one to the commander-in-chief. And when I sat there in this presidential dinner, I, t- I took a lesson on which fork to use because I'm a country boy. <laughs> Seriously. You know, knock the mashed potatoes off, that'll work for the cake. <laughs> Full-blown black tie affair, and I leaned over. I sitting, we were sitting real, real close to the president because we were invited guests. Entertainment was, you know, famous people and congressmen and world leaders were there all over this room. And I leaned over because my wife was with me and another pastor and his wife was with me. And the uh, guy who actually got the book in the hand of Carl Rove was there. And uh, he, he, he was sitting with us. And he, I, I leaned over and told the pastor, I said, I said I, I, I'm a little overwhelmed. I said, some of the most powerful people in the world. Are in this room he looked over at me he said and we're two of them I said thank you for the reminder he looked at me he said and we're two of them mr. ambassador I got my papers with me and it says in my copy of my papers that we're ministers of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that he's made us ambassadors of the kingdom of God with delegated authority to operate the business of the kingdom and the business of the king, and we are to be salt and light. And let me say this to you. I don't know whether I had an effect on any of the decisions they made, but what I'm simply saying is this. I would have never dreamed something like that would happen to a country boy. Our, our, our town literally did a, a, a news story on it because up till then they thought we were the cult out on the hill. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because when I look over this room and I, I see this young man sitting here and I think, full of kingdom purpose and potential. You got a future, man. I look at the people here and think we are, we are agents of change. We can bring change in the world by being the salt and the light. If we'll quit crying, the sky is falling. And that's all I'm going to, tonight is just to give you those, is that the last days might possibly be the past days. And all I'm asking you to do is consider that possibility. As Gavin is getting ready to come, let me say very quickly that we have with us some of our books and stuff back there. We have a book I wrote on Revelation. It's the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. It's back there and available. But we, what, what we have, there's no way I'm going to exhaust the subject. But there are some thumb drives or jump drives that are fully loaded with MP3 audio files. I believe there's 134 30-minute segments of teaching that are used in several Bible colleges right now. And that, that jump drive with 134 messages that is it's, it's chapter by chapter of the book of Revelation is 100 bucks. It's back on the table. That is our number one seller bar none of all times. People are requesting that all over the place. And I thought when I started teaching this on national TV like I'm teaching, I figured it would be my death warrant. I figured, but I, you know what? When you turn 65, you start saying, I don't have time to preach cute little sermons anymore. I'm either going to say something or I'm going home. And when I started teaching this on national TV, our ratings shot out the roof, and all of a sudden we started to pick up partners that said we can get behind something like this. Because this is not crying the sky is falling. He's a great big God. I, you've been gracious to
1: When you said uh, God sent prophets seventy times seven and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And he gave them every opportunity, including his son.
0: Well if I'm, it was I'm God- trying to look at who's asking me the question. Okay, 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 all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, I see you again now. Um, the lights are different did here.
1: you, I mean, God would have known what was going to happen.
0: I think that's why he sent until 77. What, what I'm going to do probably tomorrow is get into that Daniel 70 weeks. Okay. And that, you know, it's also multiples 70 times 7 are multiples of Sabbaths and multiples of Jubilees. And when Jesus comes on the scene, He stands up and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He sent me to declare the year of the favor of God, which was the year of Jubilee. He's offering them every opportunity. But even when you see the book of Revelation, the catastrophes and the judgments that come upon this, I just saw this recently. The catastrophes that you see in the book of Revelation are all the curses of the book of Deuteronomy. So the people still have a choice. In other words, that you know, and it, but what, he, what he, he declares, if you take the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27 like through 30 and lay it over the book of Revelation, it will answer all kinds of questions because it's, it's God keeping his end of the covenant bargain to apostate Israel to keep the In other words, they were, they were demanding God to keep his end to bring the curses of this book. And let me say this to you. When he told them, that he, Moses says to, God says to Moses, you are going to die, get ready to hand this to Joshua, but teach the people this song and tell them to learn this generation after generation because after you die, these people are going to go whoring after other gods Mm -hmm. and all the plagues are going to come upon this people. All of these things and catastrophes that they've called on the covenant curses will come upon this people. So teach them this song. So that when that happens, they're going to remember that they failed to keep the the, the words of this covenant. When you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 15, he says, And I saw a mighty angel come down with the last plagues, last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. They're the last plagues. But in chapter 15, verse 2, he says, And they stood, uh, uh, saw, as it were, them that had gotten the victory of the beast, number of his name, stand on the sea of glass. And they sang the song of Moses. I mean, he literally, they sang the song. So the the covenant curses were about to come upon them. Now, I think God knows the end from the beginning, but I also think that there's still some choices in the midst of that. That's how people get there.
1: Man, so yeah, he would know. But yep. why was he so distressed? Yep. He
0: knew it was going to happen. Yep. He's pre- that, and that's what the prophetic word was. Is I'm going to give it to you. But see, the mystery that was hid from ages is that when, they were, when, when the power of the holy people was finally broken, Daniel chapter 12, God drew a bigger circle and said, Now, this is including both Jew and Gentile. So that I'm not preaching replacement theology. I preach placement theology because I believe that the true vine was always Christ. And he brings both Jew and Gentile into that true vine, Romans 11. So that what he's doing is drawing a bigger circle and including that salvation in it. So that's what I, you know.
1: And one other question. What, how do you feel about the conspiracy theory? And
0: how, how, how do I know what? Cons- believe in the conspiracy theory of today. I don't believe much at all in it. Because? Because I think that's just exactly what it is. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories. I think that there's, a, I mean, you know, let me say this. There can be some truths about a, a lot of different things. You know, we're living in a climate right now where you, you, don't, you can't trust your government. You can't trust your news medias. You can't hardly trust your preachers. But you can trust the Word of God. So what I put my confidence in is not... What the conspiracy theories are, because there are there may be very very well be schemes that the enemy has of all different kinds and, and maybe some truth some of it may be mixed not with truth or just partial truths, but the one thing that you can have confidence in is what does the scripture say that's what I put my confidence in so I'll take a couple more, go ahead.
1: You know, one question. Oh, sorry. One question I've always wondered, and nobody's after, answered it, that to my satisfaction was, at, in the Old Testament, what some of the things are of that generation, and some of them are for us.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that when we draw principles from, in other words, I think that we can draw principles. For instance, although he wrote to the first-century church at Corinth and says to them, "These things happen to you," for examples. That was written to them upon whom the end of the ages had come. But the thing that I draw from that that's still for me is I still need to come up out of that old covenant paradigm thinking myself and live in the promised land which is called Christ where I live free from where he talks about uh, idolatry and murmuring and sexual immorality. I think those things are still relevant across all generations just like the work of the cross is complete. In other words, what I think happens, what we need to understand is that the work was finished completely finished but it has ongoing results in other words not only is he the savior he's also the healer but he the, but the scripture says by whose stripes we were healed by whose stripes we were healed so uh, healing was something that was finished in the work of the cross that's the objective side of the gospel but the subjective side is when i take my faith and grab that say that belongs to me and i bring it into mine now that's, that's how I think, I think we can see principles, of course, that go through. I think that when we're talking about time-related statements and, I'm sorry, and eschatological issues, you have to stay within the context of what's really being said to that group of people because the reason I don't think God can do that again. People say, well, do you think there could be double fulfillment? No, I don't because we're not under that covenant. In other words, God was keeping His end of the covenant bargain to bring upon them all the curses of the book of Deuteronomy. And when you read them and then see what happens in the book of Revelation, their cities are plundered, they fall by the edge of the sword, they're led away captive, uh, I mean, you know, uh, disease, yada, yada. All of that stuff happened because God was keeping His end of the covenant bargain. Not because He wanted to, but because they, that He was their covenant partner. And when you force His hand, He had to do in other words, when you resist every opportunity he's given to you, then he's going to do what he said he would do. Now, that, what that does to me is it says to me, if God kept his word when it was something he didn't want to do, how much more will he keep his word when it is what he wants to do? Amen. Uh, go ahead. So the one thing that I've read of the revelations, it ends up showing that, you know, a lot of people will be passed away. But then it ends up going on saying that God's people inherit the earth." That's exactly how I believe it ends. Let me say this to you. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens between the Alpha and the Omega. Here's the deal. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3 is God's beginning. and Genesis 1, verse 6, I may hit some of these scriptures as we go on. It says uh, that God divided the above water from the beneath water, and He divided it with a firmament. So He divided the above water from the beneath water and the expansion was called the firmament. The above water hangs in what we call clouds. The beneath water is in waters, seas, oceans, and ponds, so that we're standing in the firmament. God called in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, God called the firmament, capital H-E-A-V-E, and called it heaven. If heaven was here to begin with, and God's plan is a plan of redemption and restoration, it starts in a garden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it ends in a garden in Revelation 21, 22, except in the ones in Revelation 21 and 22, there's no snake. No tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's God bringing about, if it's redemption, you've got to bring it back to how it was before it got messed up. God's ultimate purpose, I believe, is to marry again the heavens and the earth. That's the consummation that He brings together, both that which is in heaven and that which is in earth, and that is His ongoing new creation project. I will say this concerning the book of Revelation, is that that's the part that I think are both past, present, and future. In other words, I believe there's an ongoing reality of God bringing about new creation. And that's what we ought to be a part of, is that we ought to be a part of a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid, that a river's flowing out of it, and that where the Spirit and the Bride, the book doesn't end with catastrophe. It ends with the Spirit and the Bride saying, Come. The book of Malachi ends with, and, uh, and uh, I'll come and smite the earth with the curse. Malachi, that's the last word of the Old Testament. I'll come and smite the earth with the curse. Revelation 21 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. The new covenant ends with grace. I think that's good news right there. So that's the, uh, the brush stroke of what happened. But what happens in between there, I think, is somewhat determined on what we do with it in our generation. That's why I'm so passionate about preaching this is because I think our, our, our future and the future of our children are determined by what we do and what we teach and what we believe. And I think right now there's such a, there's such, there needs to be such a stirring because I think that, that uh, you know, I, 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 I get concerned when I look around and I see families. And, I, you know, God wants to do something with families. You know, I think about, you know, when I, when I look at some of the stuff that I grew up, you know, my, my mother-in-law is 90 years old. She comes to our house every, every evening for dinner because we kind of watch over her a little bit. But her and I watch Little House on the Prairie every night. We watch it on, I think, Amazon or one of them. And I got so, I really like this program, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the kind of stuff we need to be letting our kids watch, because it talks about empathy. It talks about getting over racial disputes. It talks about getting, it talks about how to get along with your neighbors, how to help each other. See, that's how we bring God's new world into this one. Because we are literally windows in heaven where God can use us to bring what's happening there. See, see, here's the whole messed up thinking of the church is we think God's primary goal is to get me from here to there when His purpose is to get what's happening there to operate here. And in Revelation 21, it's not us going up to the city. The city's coming down from God out of heaven. So heaven and earth are coming together again to be restored where heaven and earth meet together in their final consummation where the visible and the invisible, the human and the divine come together in one. I think that's just a glorious, winning Jesus. I'll take another question. Go ahead and bring...
1: thank you <laughs> um you had said the church was not mentioned after uh chapter three and so would the ecclesia
0: i think it's what
1: like for the kingdom would we then be called the
0: ecclesia uh, see, the, the greek word for church is ecclesia which means the called out ones and and what i, what I, I want to say about that is not that the church like ceases to exist it's that the word Ecclesia means called out, so its first usage was they were called the church in the wilderness because they were the called out, and they were called out of Egypt. But once they've been brought out, in other words, once we've been brought out and we came out, and that's what that 40-year transition period that I showed you up there was about, was them coming out of the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant, which is really the promised land is Christ in Hebrews 4. That's where the rest is at. And when you enter into that promised land, you're no longer coming out. You've now been brought in to the kingdom for such a time as this. So it doesn't mean that we cease to exist, or, but it's used to. He's at, later on in the book of Revelation, he uses terms like the bride, the lamb's wife, the city of God, uh, the household of faith. I mean, there's like all kinds of different symbolisms that he uses and icons that we understand as we understand the word more and more. That, so it's not that they cease to exist. They just became relevant. And let me say this as well because it's something that I think is very important when you start looking at the book of Revelation. In Ezekiel chapter 1, 2, and 3, he starts to talk about, it's almost a repeat of Revelation 1, 2, 3, and 4. He says, I saw, you know, a living creature. I saw a throne. I saw four living creatures, face of a man, ox, flying eagle, uh, you know, around the throne. There was one sitting on the throne, had the, the appearance of amber, had a little book in his hand. And he said to Ezekiel, take this little book and eat it. It'll be sweet in your mouth, bitter in your belly. But in this book is lamentation, mourning, and woe. You get to the book of Revelation, and it's the same exact scene. It's a throne with with somebody with the color of amber, with a rainbow around it, with four-faced living creature, and a little book about to be opened. And he tells John, take this little book and eat it. It'll be sweet in your mouth, bitter in your belly. Same exact verbiage. But when you see the Lamb take the book and open the seals, in that book is lamentation, mourning, and woe for the apostate people who had lost their covenant. But what I love about that is in the book of Revelation, they don't just sing the song of Moses, which is the covenant curses. They sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. So when the Lamb takes the book and opens it, I feel like preaching when I say this. He said they start to say hallelujah for thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. So for believers, the book of Revelation is not what you're going to get lamentation, mourning, woe. It's what you've been redeemed from. That's why it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's a great day for believers. It's a terrible day for the apostate people. But for them, they were singing a new song, singing you have redeemed us to God by your blood. So the redemption of the book of Revelation, so the The redemptive side of it, which we teach that as well, the redemptive side. In other words, it's not what was just coming to them. It's once that was removed, what was left was a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See, we read Hebrews like everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that remain is the kingdom. So we think again, the first time we get a like, you know, the you know, we get COVID or whatever, we think, well, this is the shaking God. No, no, no. That's not, that's not the context of that. That was first century book of Hebrews. What was being shaken was all of their religious stuff was about to pass off the scene. It was no longer effective. You don't have to be circumcised anymore. You don't gotta bring a woolly lamb anymore. This whole powers of the heaven was shaken. And even I'll get into this possibly. When Peter talks about, he said, the elements will melt with the fervent heat. He's not talking about a nuclear exchange. The word elements there is the Greek word stoikion, and it's only ever used to describe the law of Moses. It's in Galatians 4 when he said, I'm afraid of you because you have gone back up under the law. Touch not, taste not, handle not, and you've gone back under the elements of the world. It's also the word rudiments in the book of Colossians, and it's dealing with the law of Moses. What was about to pass away with a great noise and melt with a fervent heat was the temple, its trappings, and all that was there because even as he's warning them in the book of Hebrews to not go back, I know I'm being a little bit lengthy, but I feel like this is important stuff. When he says to them, he says to them in, in Hebrews six, for instance, he says, if, "He said, "Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines about Christ and of baptism and a laying on of hands and of faith towards God, let us go on to perfection." And then he goes on to say, "But if you sin willfully once you've been enlightened and you've tasted the power." of the age to come, or the world to come, the, the age to come. One of the reasons that I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit ended, like some people who teach some of this eschatology, like I do believe that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit ceased. But my argument is that the power was from the coming age, the powers of the age to come. So God didn't take the power tools away from us when He gave us a bigger assignment. But I started seeing Hebrews 6 differently than I used to when He's talking about laying on of hands and of baptisms. He's not talking about what we do in a baptismal. Now, I believe in that, and I believe there's other scriptures for that in laying on of hands for people to get healed. But what he's talking about in that context is the laying your hands on the heads of animals and confessing your sins, and the mikvahs or the diver's washings. He's saying we're going to move away from this under perfection. And if then you sin willfully, which means you miss the mark, and what he's saying is not you sinned Saturday night and you did something wrong tonight and now you did it on purpose so you're going to die and go to hell. That ain't what that means. It means if you go back to Judaism after you've been enlightened and tasted the powers of the coming age and then you go back to animal sacrifice and you go back to the blood of bulls and goats, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He's not saying you can't be saved. He's saying there's not another lamb coming. And then he says in Hebrews ten, he repeats it again. Instead of fearful looking for a fire indignation, that fire indignation came three and a half years after the book of Hebrews, because the whole book of Hebrews is written to them to tell them, don't go back, don't sin willfully and miss the mark, and go back to this old covenant once you've been enlightened, because Jesus is better than Levi. He's better than, come on, he's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's everything about it is better. So don't go back. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. and That's one of the things that really frustrates me about Christians getting excited about oh help me not make anybody mad but that gets me upset about Christians being excited about a red heifer. only thing going to excite me about a red heifer is a prime rib about that (laughs) thick. And if you'll cook it just right I'll put it in the Feast of Tabernacles because there is no New Testament scripture dealing with a, a red heifer and a bull. God is not bringing us back to the blood of bulls and goats that's all hung on bad theology and scripture that has already been fulfilled. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase it is always in contrast to something from the old covenant.